I want to welcome you back this evening as we begin a new series tonight. On Sunday nights, I've decided that since we're talking about grace this year and growing in grace, I wanted to do a series about grace, but not necessarily exposit a particular text where grace is the central theme. What I would like to do is go from the Old Testament through the New and pick out stories and incidents where God poured out his grace to certain individuals, certain people, and in different ways. A lot of times we think just of grace as the eternal gift from Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. And of course that's true, but there are many ways in which God is gracious to us and has been throughout the uh, entire story of the Bible. And so I thought uh, it would be good... And I know this will make the uh, absolutely zero of you who gave me any suggestions otherwise uh, unhappy. So because you didn't give me any suggestions, you left it entirely up to me, which is a great responsibility. It tells me that you trust me a great deal. Grace means God's favor. Most of us know that. We're going to talk about stories of his relentless favor to us throughout the Bible. Uh, As we go through these scriptures, we're going to look at these stories one week at a time. Our whole life, in my opinion, is bound up in the grace of God. Life is his gift. Each breath we take is his air. Each heartbeat from him, every single one, is a gift. He did not need to make us. And we have not certainly done anything to deserve to be created. But there was a point in time when God looked at all time and eternity and all creation and decided that what was needed was you. I think that is important for us to remember. I had an epiphany. Epiphany is a a great vision, uh, but it came in the form of a very small creature. In fact, the epiphany came in this very room, and the creature through whom it came was a housefly. I do not know how the housefly got into the auditorium. That part of his story, I do not know. But as I was watching him crawl along the pew and occasionally jump off and fly around, I realized I have a a very short attention span. I'm sort of like a squirrel. As I thought a little more deeply about the fly, probably more than I should have, but that's what preachers do when we're always thinking about what we're going to preach about next, it occurred to me that probably the majority of that fly's life would be in this building, unless he found a way out. Uh, If we think about it, uh, from his perspective, this is a wonderful, magnificent place, 4545 North Meridian. I'm not sure exactly how much time he spent here in the auditorium, but just to think how magnificent it must be if if by occasion he took an adventurous spirit and decided to go way up high into the rafters, sit up as high as he could and perch himself and look down and see all of the wonderful pews, maybe the people in them. Maybe he was mesmerized by the color that occasionally would come through the window and he would fly over and just... Be in awe of those colors. Perhaps he 
took a vacation, decided to go to the waterfront by the baptistry. I don't know how he fed himself, whether finding a few leftover goldfish crumbs from wherever a family with young children were sitting, some Cheerios. Perhaps he meandered out across and flew across the great foyer and went over into the multipurpose room and found some leftover crumbs on the carpet from guest lunch. Perhaps he fancied himself a traveler and enjoyed going down and seeing all the amazing sights of the world of safari or traveling across the other end and experiencing all the strange new smells of the teenage room. I I can't tell you, other than my best attempt to describe a life of a fly in a church building, but the reason I do that is to tell you this. You and I and that fly have this in common. We have very limited vision. Do you think it was within the fly's capability to understand that there was a creator of this building, that at one time there was an architect who sat down and drew up the plans for the building which he resided in? Do you think he understood or even could conceive the idea of a construction crew coming out and building and forming the foundations and the walls and the ceilings? Do you think he even understands the, 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 a massive amount of electrical wiring and, and Wi-Fi and air conditioning and all of that? Do you think he begins to even able, is able to wrap his little fly mind around how all that began? Do you think he can even conceive that there is a world beyond 4545 North Meridian? What he lacks is in a lot of ways what you and I lack. Perspective. We, we joke at the fly because we have more perspective than the fly does. How much then must the heavenly host joke about us human beings who invest so much time, energy, and money into a temporary place? How how some of those human beings are so enamored with that blue and green marbly round rock going throughout the galaxy. How some of them spend so much time and energy, some even worshiping the created things, rather than the Creator who made all those things. They must laugh, they must wonder if we ever get, if we could even fully comprehend how much more of an eternal world there is beyond the created world. We share a lot in common with flies, well, maybe not that much, but in that regard, a great deal. Our limited perspective, our limited vision, It helps us then to turn to the book of Genesis, which is where our story will be tonight. Our faith in God and our trust in Him is what helps us have that greater understanding that the fly does not. Uh, Without the Lord, we quickly lose perspective. We quickly become interested in things that are not of lasting value. We easily lose moral standards and the ability to discern between right and wrong. We miss out on our eternal 
purpose. There is danger in living like the fly. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 31, this text, no doubt you have heard probably many times if you've heard many sermons. We go back to it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you Every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that he had made and God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. That particular scripture tells us a few things about the story of grace. Grace begins with our Creator. It does not begin with the creation. Or it's the very beginning of that chapter, in the beginning, God It begins with the Creator. In the beginning, God, at the beginning of uh, verse 27, so God created man. You see, when when we leave out that first part, we miss out on so much. We, of course, have limited knowledge, and it is increasingly frustrated when we don't understand the Creator. Um, There is a very cool documentary. I don't know how many of you have seen this one. Uh, Raise your hand if you've seen Planet Earth. That's amazing. It's a really neat documentary. Very, very well done. It it, it essentially is an in-depth look at creation. I think it's on Netflix. and, and, And each episode kind of focuses on certain parts of creation. One is about the mountains. One is about the seas. And, and it just, they have all of these very wonderful pictures. It's, it's absolutely stunning. The original Planet Earth documentary is found in Psalm chapter 19. If you are following along in your Bible, here's what the psalmist says beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies contain the work of his hands. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech Nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent before the sun. He goes on to continue to describe many parts of creation and how it describes so beautifully, more powerfully than many sermons, the power and the might and the majesty of our creator. If you're still in Psalms, turn 11 chapters backwards to Psalm chapter 8.
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all beasts and of the field, all the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever travels along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I don't know the experiences that you have had that to mirror what the psalmist writes in Psalm 8. Perhaps it was going to the edge of the Grand Canyon. Perhaps it was at a mountaintop uh, at teen camp. Perhaps it was going to the edge of the ocean, seeing the power and the might which, with each oncoming wave. I, I don't know where in all creation, but I am very sure that if you're over the age of 20, and if you're a reasonably intelligent human being, you've had a moment where you stood in creation and felt very, very small. My moment was up toward the uh, out uh, northern, uh, excuse me, up in Minnesota, up to the uh, lakes. We went with, I was picking on Doug Wagner this morning, but we took a, a trip many years ago. And as we were sitting there, of course, way from uh, far away from population and light, and we were able to see so brilliantly the stars and were able to experience the aurora borealis, the reflection and the shimmering in the, in the dark night sky. And it was quite amazing to see. I will not forget it. And yet at the same time as the beauty and the power and the majesty of that moment, I felt very, very small, which is what should happen. As the psalmist said, his creation pours out this idea that not only is the creator very large, but you are so very, very small. When we, you and I, creatures made from the dirt, stop and marvel at the wonders of creation, it must remind us how truly marvelous and majestic and powerful God is. In fact, it's my opinion that if we don't wonder, we will wander. However, as we talk about this, let me give a warning uh, of something that can happen when you marvel without having any sense of majesty. I share with you the following video, and um, hopefully they can bring down the light so you can see it. Deep in the woods of North Carolina, an extremist eco-group called Earth First bewails the violation of American nature. I want to mourn the loss 
Of all the old growth trees I've seen. And tell them that we love them and that we don't want them to die. That there are some people here who do care. So I want you to know that, trees. That we care. I think we are deeply hurting in America. I think we are deeply craving answers. I think that we've lost our identity as we have evolved into technology and into industrialized society. Bring me to this cathedral. Bring me to those guys. Bring me to this rock that has the most incredible life. That makes me feel alive. I've looked at clear cuts in burnt forests and I felt outraged, but I didn't scream and I didn't cry. And I need to. Admittedly, somewhat easy to pick on. But let me ask a semi-serious question, and that is this. What causes hippies to go out into a forest and mourn dead trees? I don't know if you caught what some of the things that were said. We've, we've lost our identity. Bring me to this cathedral. Makes me feel alive. Now, I realize that video is probably 20, 30 years old, and that we would view these people as fairly harmless. But those are people who've lost their way. They've lost their perspective. Their focus has become the creation instead of the creator. And because God creates within us this desire, this innate desire to worship something, lacking understanding of the Creator, to whom the creation speaks, they fall far, far short and worship created things instead of the Creator. Easy for us to make fun of, of them sitting and mourning and screaming in a forest. But guys, that, that was taken 20, 30 years ago. And my guess is, if they hold fundamentally to their belief, they figured out that sitting on the forest floor crying out to trees would not achieve near as much as getting a job at a think tank and influencing foreign policy in the government or becoming an educator and raising up a generation to believe those things. You see, what starts as maniacal, eventually, given enough time, becomes mainstream. I don't mean to pick too much on the millennials, but there aren't a lot of of them here, so I'll go ahead and do it. I mean it when I say that one of the worst things you can do to that generation is to commit what they consider a crime against nature. They worship at the altar of the recycle bin. Now, if you recycle, I don't have any problem with you. I'm, I'm just telling you. There's become a shift in our values in society when we focus on the created things rather than the creator. And that's the inevitable conclusion. That's what's going to happen. We're warned about this in Scripture.
Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, if you're following along. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's the truth? Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He's saying here, you don't have to be familiar with Genesis chapter 1, where it clearly states that God's a creator, and he's given all of the creation to be ruled and to be subdued by human beings. He's saying, you just look at nature itself, and it testifies to that creator. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived and ever since the creation, ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now catch what he goes on to say. For although they know God, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God... For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Scripture goes on to tell us that at some point God gives, gives up those people to a, a reprobate mind. <clears throat> I'm not saying we should be uh, wasteful and that we should destroy the, the world. I, I Believe in conservationism. I think we, to some degree, should be a good steward. But the, the question is, at what point does your focus become on that which is created instead of the creator? Remember, the whole purpose of creation is to make you feel very small and to remind you there's someone much, much larger than you. Hundreds of years ago, Tertullian stated, It was not the pen of Moses that initiated the knowledge of the creator. The vast majority of mankind, though they had never heard the name of Moses, to say nothing of his books, knew the God of Moses nonetheless. Nature is the teacher. The soul is the pupil. The flower of the hedgerow, one shell from any seaside you like, one feather of a moor fowl, will they speak to you of a mean creator? If I offer you a rose, will you not scorn its creator? Creation is God's first missionary. Creation is not God's Messiah. And we need to understand the difference. His grace to us was manifest throughout all creation. But there was a purpose in that grace to point us to the one who gave it to us. His grace overflows to us. Another quote from Augustine. Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars. And yet they pass by themselves without wondering. God's creation is truly wonderful. And there are many beautiful, powerful parts of it, but the best part comes on the sixth day when as the most special part of God's creation, the zenith Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. God seems to be at this point in the Genesis account, there's kind of two parts between God's creation. There's light and darkness. There's the waters above and the waters below. There's land and seas. There's day and there's night. There's birds and there's fish. And he creates the male and female. It's weird to think that 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 idea itself is controversial. In 2018, the idea uh, that there are just two genders is scandalous to say. God's creation speaks to him. It testifies to him. And mankind, male and female, made in God's image, are his greatest work. Man is a part of creation, of course, but superior to, his, to the rest of creation because we're in God's image. The Latin for the image of God, the imagio Dei, refers to the spiritual part of humanity, not the physical. It sets human beings apart from the animal world. It fits them for dominion over it. That's why God tells human beings to fill the earth and subdue it. God makes it clear that because we are in his image, we are different from the beast. And my seventh grade son, who's not here tonight, but is telling me all in science how we're learning that man is just an animal. More highly evolved, of course. And we leave out made in God's image. That's very important. For if man is not made in God's image, then truly he's just not much more than the beast. Man is the zenith, different from the animals because of his image. He says of the creation, I have given you this planet, this created world that we live in was made for humans and not humans for the planet. Why are we so special? Because we're made in God's image. And there are four ways that I pointed this out, and you may think of more, but you're not preaching, are you? His likeness, there are several components to it. I think we're made in God's image intellectually. I don't mean to imply that we are as smart as God. Of course, his knowledge is infinite, and we have a finite knowledge, and it must be learned over time. But we're self-aware. We're capable of rational thought. We can reason and choose. Animals don't do that. Animals don't make a moral distinction and the value of life. And whenever you do things that use your mind, whether you invent something, write a book, paint a picture, enjoy music, contemplate, meditate, do a math problem, name your own pet, whenever you do anything using your mind, you are... Showing part of your father's image. You're made in God's image morally. We all have an innate moral compass, a sense of right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. We can't even evade it. Um, You hear people say, that just isn't right. Or maybe a more popular one from culture is everybody's up in arms over fake news. Well, if there's no absolute truth... If, as Oprah said, it's whatever your truth is, then how can there be any such thing as fake news? 
I mean, you all just ought to be, every single one of you ought to have your own news station and make up what you want. But we understand that can't be true. There's right and there's wrong. There's truth and there's error. There's fact and there's opinion. So whenever we use our moral guide to write a law, to vote for one candidate over the other, whenever we blush or when we feel guilty, we are showing that we are made in God's image. We are made in God's image socially. We're created for relationship. Very early in Genesis, let us make man in our own image, showing the the triune nature of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In Eden, our primary relationship was with God. And God made the first female, Eve, because it was not good for man to be alone. Every time someone comes into my office for counseling, for Premarital counseling, whenever you make a friend, whenever you give a child a hug, whenever you attend church and ask someone sincerely, how are you doing, you are demonstrating that you are made in the image of God, made for relationship. It's not good for you to be alone. And finally, eternally, you and I have an eternal, ongoing part of us which does not end, uh, even though the body ends. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11 says that he has set eternity in the hearts of men, and we cannot fathom it from one end to the other. So we are made in God's image. My challenge for you is that you might act like it, and that you might not forget it. It is by his grace that you and I have the gift of life, Tonight we've talked just about the created part of that, which of course is a beautiful gift. Tonight as you go home and throughout this week, I hope you'll seek out a moment when you enjoy the creation of God. But don't just stop there. Don't pause and and forget that there's a purpose in those holy interruptions. That when you feel so incredibly small, that you might look up and give praise to your Creator, who the Scripture speaks about so eloquently and that all creation does as well. You and I are superior to all the other parts of creation. We are not equal to it. We are above it. That's because we're made in the image of God. The gift of physical life is undoubtedly a beautiful, wonderful gift that far too often we take for granted. But the gift of eternal life is much, much, much greater. Please don't focus so much on the first gift that you lose sight of the second gift. Your life and mine is a gift. Don't make the flies mistake. There is more to life than just this created world. There is a creator who loves you deeply and who doesn't want you to stay here forever. The first gift, the physical world, that was not our choice. God made that choice. But the second gift of eternal life, well, that gift is in our hands as to whether or not we'll accept it. Tonight, my question for you is, will you accept his free gift of grace through Jesus? If you haven't, you can do that tonight. I'll be happy to meet you down front. 
and help you in any way that we can. You need prayers or other encouragement. Let us help you as we would love to do. Whatever your need might be, if you have one, please come forward as together we stand and sing.